So Galatians 6, that's where we're starting. It should come up on the screen. If you need a Bible, there are on little crates beside you. Discreetly poke the person next to you and they'll get it for you. So this passage is entitled, Doing Good to All. And it says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So, the first thing that we learn, um, this first value that's almost communicated to us, given to us, is that as we are spirit-filled and as we're walking with God, as God's family, we commit to restoration. It's disappeared behind my window. How disappointing. So as God's family, we commit to restoration. And the passage opens with the words, brothers and sisters. And here we're talking about a family, um, people who are family together, people who are part of the... Part? Sorry. Part. (laughs) Part of the same church. Um, And there's a clear challenge and encouragement issued just in that first verse there. If someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. So we're called to commit to restoration. Restore that person gently. The fact of the matter is that sin is something that is a reality for all of us in all of our lives. It's something that we all struggle with. Um, It's something that we all had to battle on a daily basis. When Paul's talking about sin here, he's talking about um, someone who's been caught in sin. So you might imagine it be um, to almost be like the woman that was caught in adultery. So she was caught in the act of adultery and she was brought before Jesus. Or we might think of a situation where we've heard a friend of ours um, say something that maybe we thought was inappropriate to some member of the opposite sex. Anything, it can be something like that where we're caught in sin. And sin can rob us of calling, of fruit, of relationships, of passion. And so it has to be dealt with because otherwise it's damaging. The word that's used for restore here is, and I have to read it because there's so many T's and Z's in here that it's confusing, cartartizo which I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but cartartizo. And the word itself actually means setting a dislocated bone back into place. And so it's the bone has popped out, it's become disconnected, and it needs to be reconnected in order for it to function properly within the body again. And it's painful. It's painful for that bone to be reset. It's painful for that bone to be fixed. But it's essential if that healing is going to take place. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 15, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. If we see something out of place in our own lives, or we see something out of place in the lives close to us, we are asked to set it back into place, to restore it so that it can be used again for God's glory. 
The Greeks associated that word kartartizo with the physician, um, a doctor, someone who was skilled, someone who had to put that bone back, set it right. If it wasn't set right, then it wouldn't be healed properly and it wouldn't be able to be used effectively again. And so it certainly couldn't be set, reset by any unskilled hands because if there was, there was a risk that it wouldn't be able to be used properly again. So when Paul says, you who are spiritual should restore him or her, it means those who are in the church family who are living in a way where they're looking to love, sorry, love Jesus, who know Jesus, and who are trying with the help of the Holy Spirit to live in a way that's lifting him up um, all the time. He's not talking about perfect people. He's not talking about perfect people, but he is talking about people who love Jesus and who are looking to serve him and to share with him. I don't know how many of you have seen, this probably gives you an insight into my um, online habits, but there are all these like little websites you get, like distractify.com or, well, maybe not board.com. I don't know if I've ever looked at that, but you get all these BuzzFeed things. Is anyone else guilty of that? I can't believe you're leaving me up here on my own, not admitting to looking at these websites. Just, I'll take a drink. Anyone going to admit distractify.com, BuzzFeed, such and such? Thank you. Now you're being honest. Um, you sometimes see these random things like um, shame my pet. Has anyone? <laughs> I know. You can see that I'm like totally procrastinating when I'm looking at these things, but... People put up pictures of their pet and they say all the things that their pet's done is like really bad. Julie's looking at me, so Julie clearly has never looked at these things. Um, that shame your pet and they put up a picture of their sweet little cat and then it has this little sign beside it that says, um, you know, I peed on the bed this morning or something like that. Um, <laughs> the one that I read the other day was this dog who basically their owners had put up a sign beside it that said, um, I... Uh, our car was stolen from our driveway and I sat by and did nothing, which, <laughs> which I thought was quite amusing. Um, so there's shame your pet. I also saw um, a story the other day, a little bit more serious, um, but it was something that was saying that um, basically it was spouses who had found out that their um, partner had cheated on them and they made these big billboards that went up in the, the garden and they advertised it to the whole neighborhood. I was quite shocked by that. But God doesn't ask us to shame one another. He's not asking us to put this great big picture in front of one another, take a picture and stick it up on Facebook. He's not asking us to publicize um, when someone in our family makes a mistake, but he's asking us to get beside them, to challenge them, to encourage one another, to bless one another. You know, God asks us to love one another, and we are called to humbly respond to the Holy Spirit as he leads us to challenge and encourage one another. And you know, maybe this morning some of us are here and we know that there's a bone that's out of place. We know that there's a bone in our own lives that's disconnected or that's a little bit broken. And we know that we need to go to someone and ask them for their help, for their love, for their care, to restore us back to that place where our bone is healthy and working. Or maybe this morning we're sitting here and we're thinking of a friend of ours who we know is struggling and we can ask again the Holy Spirit to show us how can I restore this person? Because as God's family, we commit to restoration. We do not give up on one another. We do not give up on one another. So in God's family, we commit to restoration, but we also check our hearts. Um, 
I was watching a movie just a few weeks ago, maybe months ago now. Basically, I watch a lot of movies. Um, I won't tell you this story because then it'll wreck it, but it was about this man who basically was an art dealer and he discovered these um, paintings, original paintings, and he found them and they were kind of blackened and they had this layer of dirt um, and decay kind of over the top. And he took it and he gradually restored that painting. So he took away the layers of dirt and he took away the layers of decay and then eventually he got to the original painting underneath and he started to restore the original colour, the original style, the original shapes um, that the artist had put in place. So he basically restored this unique original. And the restorer of the painting has to value the work of the original artist if they're to restore it correctly. And so too are we asked to value the hand of God on one another to restore one another, to build one another up. So our heart attitudes matter. We're not trying to um, change the original, this unique creation, but we're trying to restore it. In verse 3 and 4, Paul says, If you think you're something when you're nothing, you deceive yourselves. Each of you should test your own actions. Then you can take pride in yourself without comparing yourself to somebody else, for each of you should carry your own load. And ultimately what Paul's saying here is that we're not to look around at Scott, at Mike, um, at Janice. We're not to look around at these people and compare ourselves because we're not to compare ourselves to how badly our neighbor is doing or how well our neighbor is doing. That is not what God is asking us to do. In Romans 12, 3, it says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And this is a bit that I just think is incredible. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so, we, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So we're not in competition with one another. It can be an easy thing to slip into. You know, we might look at someone and we think, well, they didn't pray as confidently as me in that prayer meeting, so clearly I'm doing really well. Or maybe we think, oh, well, I put in loads of hours serving last week. I mean, seriously, I taught it up 10 hours. Who's going to do better than that? So then we think, oh, well, we'll just take a week off or take a few weeks off because actually we're doing pretty good right now in comparison to X over there. Ultimately, God is not going to be comparing me to my friends. He's not going to be comparing me to my neighbors. He's not going to be comparing me to Scott. He is going to be looking at what have I asked my love to do? And has she done it? That's what he's going to be looking at. So he is not comparing us to one another. And so neither are we. We're asked to test our own actions and to look at our own motivations. What are our motivations? But why on earth does it matter how we see ourselves when we're trying to love others? Because isn't, aren't those two things disconnected? Well, John Stott, who is a theologian and writer, he says... Our conduct with others is governed by our opinion of ourselves. Our conduct with others is governed by our opinion of ourselves. And so if we think that we're above other people, we're not going to love and serve them to the best that we can. And if we think we're beneath them or we're com um, competing with them, we're not going to be able to love and serve them to the best that we can. I also want to say this morning that it's not okay to hate ourselves. 
Each person that's in this room is a masterpiece handcrafted by God and made in his image. And I completely understand the temptation where you want to despise yourself or dislike yourself or hate those little parts of yourself that you know are just not quite right. Um, and you see how they're all right in other people, but they're not right in you. And I totally get that because <laughs> I'm on a journey with that with God as well. But he wants us to be free in love and he wants us to be free to love. And so that means that he wants to set us free from pride, from jealousy and envy from that competition and he wants to set us free from that self-loathing as well because our heart attitudes matter because they can open up our ability to love or they can limit our ability to love and so for us to walk in the spirit to walk with Jesus it's to take time to check our hearts to recognize our motivations resubmitting to him as many times as we need to because we can go back to him again and again and again with that difficulty of pride, with that self-hatred, with that um, jealousy. We can go back again and again because his arms are wide open and receive his transformation for each one of us. So in God's family, we commit to restoration. We do not give up on one another. And we check our hearts. And we also bear burdens. Take another drink. Sorry, I like to announce it. I feel like it's clearer for the people at home who are like, why has she suddenly stopped speaking? Anyway, so in verse 2, um, Paul says, carry each other's burdens and you will fulfill the law of Christ. And at some point, all of us, this is just life, will probably have a burden that we have to bear. And the word that he actually uses there means heavy burden. And for some of us, that might be an illness. It might be a physical disability. It might be a relationship breakdown. It might be um, for unforgiveness or hurt. It might be um, financial worry, or it might be responsibility that you're carrying. But all of us at some point are going to have a heavy burden that we have to bear. And we are called um, to carry it together. I have a friend who um, used to work for... I'm doing this because I'm about to talk about the internet. This is my internet signal. Um, but basically, I have a friend on Facebook who used to work for Mercy Ships. And I don't know if anyone knows Mercy Ships, but they basically have these ships that travel around the world and they go to places where medical care is really hard to find. Um, and these ships are incredible. They're like equipped with these incredible volunteers who give their time um, to provide surgery and medical treatment for people that they encounter. And this last week, I read about a man called Sambani. Um, and he's in Madagascar, and for 36 years of his life, he had an enormous tumor growing on the side of his face, and I mean, it was huge. And he, it caused him so much pain that at night, he could, the way that he described it was, it was burn, it was like it was burning into his skin. He couldn't sleep. Um, he found it really hard to walk around during the day because it was actually so heavy that it caused physical pain within his body. And as if that wasn't enough, then on top of that, um, people started to reject him, to disgrace him. So they would say things like, you're a monster, you're ugly, get out of our sight. Some people even wished him dead. So would you just hurry up and die, please, and get out of our lives? And basically, he heard on the radio that mercy ships were coming, and his family raised funds. And for two days, six men carried him on their back, to the port where the mercy ship was landing. 
his operation, when he got there, the doctor said to him, it's life or death, basically. And he said, I know without surgery, I will die. I know I might die in surgery, but I already feel dead inside from the way that I'm treated. And so his surgery took 12 hours. During that surgery, he lost over half of his body, um, body's blood. 17 crew members from the ship had to donate blood in order to ensure his survival. And his operation was successful. And they removed um, this tumor, this horrible thing from his face. And he was then free to live his life without that burden. And the thing that really strikes me about this story is that it wasn't distance. It was distance that caused, for most of his life, um, made that problem more difficult. So when we're bearing burdens, there is no space for distance. There is no space for distance. We have to draw near to one another. The things that made a difference for Sambani were the people that came near, for his family who raised funds, for the six men who were willing to have his skin, his body on their back for two days to carry him to that port, for the surgeons who were willing to stand for 12 hours and concentrate and remove it from his face, and for the 17 people who actually gave their own blood to ensure that he survived. It was the nearness of people that made a difference. And when we're bearing one another's burdens, we can't bear burdens from a distance. We can't be at a distance. We have to be near to one another. It means we get close. It means that we put aside time, hours of our day to listen to someone who we know is struggling with being a parent for the first time. Or it might be opening our house to share food with someone who we know is lonely. Or it might be being willing to be vulnerable with someone and share our testimony of God's goodness and how he helped us overcome. It might not always be convenient and fit with our schedule, but being near with people is the thing that allows us to bear our burdens. In Proverbs 17, 17, it says, a friend loves at all times. I love this. I never even saw this before I did this talk. But a, a brother is born for adversity. A brother is born for adversity. So we are a gift to one another to deal with the burdens that we have in our lives. We are a gift to one another. Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And this is the law of Christ that Paul is talking about in this passage, this command by Jesus to love one another. And every day we can take our burdens to him and he takes them from us and carries them and we get to share in the benefits of our family who gather around us. For some of us, maybe we've been carrying heavy burdens and we haven't felt like we can open up and we can share with people. It might even be something that you have never shared with anyone before. And I just wanna say to you this morning that we here are your family and we are here to support you um, and to love you and to care for you. And maybe some of us this morning have thought that burden bearing sounds like hard work. <laughs> And we thought, oh, that's not for me. That is not for me, that burden bearing, because it's too much like hard work. And I guess there's a challenge in this passage for all of us, that it's actually a call to each of us, that if we're going to love one another, then we need to bear one another's burdens, which means that we need to draw near to one another. So in God's family, we commit to restoration. We check our hearts. We bear burdens. And finally, we sow good seed. 
So in the final section of this passage, we have a final reminder from Paul to sow good seed. And he says in verse 8, those who sow to please their sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. Those who sow to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And let us not become weary of doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So the question for all of us this morning is, where are we sowing and what are we sowing? Where are we sowing our time? Where are we sowing our talents? Where are we sowing our love? Where are we sowing our money? What are we putting our love into? Who are the people that we're sowing into? Are we sowing into relationships that keep pulling us back? Are we sowing into habits that keep pulling us back? Are we sowing into habits that allow us to move forward and to grow with God? You know, it says in this passage that when we sow, we reap. So when we sow peace, we reap peace. When we sow joy, we reap joy. It's an incredible promise in this passage that when we sow in the Spirit, we reap that eternal life and we reap a harvest back. And when the seed goes in, we don't always see the results immediately. Sometimes it's like a few years down the line when you look back and you're like, oh, that seed I planted. Some of you just woke up there. You're like, she said something. What was that? We see that seed and then suddenly we see these plants growing out of it, the seed that we sowed years ago. And you know, it takes time for a seed to be sown and to grow. It takes time to break a habit and build a new one. It takes time to build relationship. It takes time to restore relationship. It takes time and we have to be patient in the planting. Sometimes it's only after a long time that we look back and we see it. And we can be tempted at that point to be discouraged, to slack off. Maybe it seems like too much like hard work to keep sowing in the spirit. Why would we keep sowing all this goodness when we're not seeing any return? Um, I heard uh, Pete Gregg speak just the other day. I was listening, not because I was there. That makes it sound like I was there, but I was in the car, driving car. And um, I was listening to a talk that he was doing. And he shared about a time in his life when he felt like he was sowing He's sowing into all these different places. And he just felt totally like, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. He had three different things that he was responsible for. He was responsible for 24-7 prayer internationally, which is like, hats off to you for that one on its own. But on top of that, he was also leading his church in Amos Road, and he was also coordinating prayer for HDB. And he basically said that he got to a point, on top of all of that, he was also being a dad (laughs) and being a husband and being a friend. And he basically got to the point where he was tired. And in this passage, it talks about being tired. It talks about being weary and that we've not to grow weary and doing good. But he felt just tired with all of these things. And he basically took a retreat with God where he wanted to ask God, which thing was he going to get rid of? Because he was tired. He was done. He wanted to get rid of something. And he was praying and praying um, for a good while. And he felt like God wasn't saying anything. And then suddenly he had this picture of himself on this boat and these massive dark waves all around him and all he heard all he heard God say was hold your nerve son hold your nerve son in the midst of all of that difficulty in the midst of what seemed really hard in the midst of what seemed like I'm not seeing all of the where all my energy is going God just said to him hold your nerve because there's more to be had there's more to be had So when we're tempted to give up, when we're tempted to quit because it seems too hard or it seems too difficult or we're not seeing the fruit that we've expected to, we can go back to Jesus and we can ask him what it is that he's saying to us for that moment. 
And there's a challenge for us this morning to look out at Tilly just right there, to look out at Hilton and Powys and all the areas around here, to look and think about our friends, our neighbours, to think about our marriages, to think about our friendships, the relationships that we have, and to just see a field in each of those places. And that each of those places is a vast field where there's a chance for us to sow. So even just picture that now, the places that you can think of, these relationships that are in your lives, the communities that you're connected to, each one of those places is a vast field for each one of us. And we have the opportunity to partner with God and sow in the spirit into each of those areas. So we can partner with God to break up the hardened ground. We can partner with God to be the water that brings refreshing to the drought in those places. We can partner with God and be the tool that pulls up out of the ground the weed that has choked the beauty of those places for such a long time. You know, we get to partner in the sowing with God and we're called to sow good seed called to sow good seed in the fields around us, in all of our communities, and our relationships. And we're called to sow together, which is really exciting. <laughs> so in God's family, we commit to restoration, we check our hearts, we bear burdens, and we sow good seed. And when we start to feel weary, we go back to him and wait for his voice. Shall we stand?